please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. There was a hot night in the month of August in 2003 when I was sitting with a group of teenagers and adults in Guatemala. We had the privilege of going on a mission trip there and doing several things. And as the Lord was blessing, we had the joy of joining together every night for a devotional there where we were staying. On this particular night that I'm talking about, I had a little bit of a red flag go up. Almost to the point where when the person that was talking was speaking, I I almost wanted to raise my hand and interrupt. Now, I did not do that. I appreciate it. We we preachers appreciate it when you guys don't do that. Hold on a second. But I was so bothered by something that was being said, I didn't want the wrong impression to go out to the people that were listening. Specifically, it was a missionary's wife who's a wonderful blessing and uh, still serving the Lord and being mightily used. And as she was sharing her testimony of what took her to the mission field, she shared this. She said, you know, when I was growing up, I was always so afraid to to give my life over to God because I thought if I did that he might do something that I might not like, like send me to a foreign country to be a missionary. And sure enough, that's what God did. I did not want a message of if we follow our God and do our best for him, that the response from God is going to be, he's going to make us miserable. I don't think she would have told you that she was miserable, but I hate for any kind of a message to go out that makes us hesitate to follow God with our whole heart. I'm going to come back to that story and that theme at the end. But what we're going to see in God's word today is that God consistently uses those who are obedient to him. But above that, he uses those who are obedient and those who will step out on faith. It is a challenge for us to step out on faith. It is common that God gets us to a place where we have no choice. God loves to get you in that point where you have no resources of your own, but you have to lean on him. But even above that, there's going to be a challenge today that you and I are intentional about putting ourselves out there, walking by faith, the wonderful blessing that we have to study the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he's going to interact with a couple different groups today, and hopefully we'll walk away being challenged not only to be more obedient, but also to walk by faith. All that to take us to Matthew chapter 11. Um, If you uh, don't have a Bible of your own, there's a Pew Bible there. It's page 921. And um, if you don't own a Bible, please keep that Bible as our gift to you. Matthew 11, and we're continuing to talk about the life of Christ. Specifically today, we're going to get into the relationship between Christ and someone very, very close to him. It was actually a relative of Christ, a, a second cousin, if I read the scriptures correctly. John the Baptist was one that God used in amazing ways, and at the start of our text here, it seems that John is struggling. It appears that John, who was great, had some doubts. 
We're going to look at a large passage today, verses 1 through 19, and so we'll be doing a lot of reading, but hopefully you'll be able to learn not only from uh, the lesson from John, but also what Jesus says to these that are his followers and also some others in the crowd. The first thing that I see here in our text is that we are going to need confidence, and God will restore our confidence when we need it the most. When we walk with God, we must walk with confidence, and when that starts to fail, God helps us to have that confidence restored when it's needed most. I think you'll see that at this point in the Scriptures, John is at a place where he needs his confidence restored starting in verse 1 of Matthew 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me." John the Baptist, I believe, was the last of the Old Testament prophets. God used prophets in his plan. We are studying through that in our Bible Knowledge Hour right now, actually, with the major and minor prophets. And Israel had a history of treating their prophets very, very poorly. I was just reading in the past few days about Jeremiah. And when Jeremiah was faithful to say what God told him to say, how they treated him. There's one point where Jeremiah gives the message and the leaders don't want to hear it, but they're kind of afraid to kill him. So they go to Jeremiah and they lower him down into a cistern, I believe, to die there. This muddy, uh, horrible area he was in with no clean water. He would have died eventually, but somebody came and took him out. Israel had a history of treating their prophets in a horrible way. John the Baptist was one that came hundreds of years after the most previous prophet. The word from the Lord that would come through him was amazing. And John is no exception to Israel treating their prophets in a poor way. As we just saw, John finds himself right now in prison. If I had to ask you to think through one word that summarizes the preaching of John the Baptist, only one word and you had to pick that word, which word might you pick that you think he would have said a whole lot? I think he would have said the word repent. John preached repentance. They needed to turn from their idols, turn from their false ways, and turn to God. Now, when John preached, it was not only the easy crowds that he preached to. He preached a message of repentance to all, including Herod. Herod was a leader in their area, and Herod was not living in a way that pleased God. What he had done was he had gotten rid of his own wife, and he kind of liked his brother's wife a little bit better. So he said, I think I'll take her to be my wife. And when John the Baptist saw this, he preached, repent to Herod. 
This got him thrown in jail. Eventually, it will cost him his life. John the Baptist knew that he was the forerunner. This is unique in his position as a prophet because the Old Testament talks in several places about the coming Messiah, but it also talks about one prophet who would be the forerunner to the Messiah. John knew that he was this one. And as John has been preaching, baptizing, and ministering, he knew Jesus. He had baptized Jesus at this point. He had said, here comes one that I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandals. But in this message that we find here, there seems to be some desperation. What John needs is he needs some assurance. Picture it like this. Imagine that the, the advance team had gone in for the main speaker. Imagine that. So the advance team had gone in, done all the preparations that were needed, even to the point where, if you can imagine, there's a, there's a hot microphone turned on. And John is thinking, everything's been done. Jesus, are you going to step up? Announce that you're the Messiah. The tone in his voice when he sends his disciples to go ask this question is, it is you, isn't it? It's not a bad question. Don't be confused by the disciples of John. Um, back in the Bible days, they didn't have uh, seminaries that they would go and study at. So what people would do is they would find a leader, maybe a prophet, and they would kind of let their life revolve around them. And so John had disciples, just as Jesus did. And I think that John had the same kind of thinking about the coming Messiah that many people falsely did. I think that John's thinking was someone's going to come in in power and might, and he knew, or he thought he knew, that Jesus was the one. All those people were waiting for the Messiah, and I'm sure they thought that the people who better watch out first are going to need to be the Romans, because when the Messiah comes, we're going to be free from this Roman oppression. But that's not how Jesus would come. And the timing, the timing was such a struggle for John who is in a prison at this point. Jesus gives reference in those verses to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 65 and Isaiah chapter 31, where it talks about the miracles that would be performed. The blind will receive their sight. The deaf will be able to hear. The dead will be raised. These are fulfilled. But I think, while John the Baptist likely knew those prophecies in Isaiah 65 and 31, it's my opinion that when he is sending his disciples to go and ask Christ this question, that the words of Isaiah 55 would come to his heart. Verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 55 say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As far as the, heavens, as, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And so for us, I think we can apply this to our lives today. If you're like me, sometimes you feel like your faith is so small. I know I feel that way so often. 
So many things are taken care of for me. I can be obedient and see God's blessing. But as far as stepping out on faith to where God has to get involved and add his blessing, I feel like my faith is small. When we feel like our faith is small, we need to turn to the exact same place that John the Baptist turned to. He sent his questions to Jesus. When you feel that your faith is small, turn to Christ. I don't think John had any problem hearing about the miracles. I don't think John really had questions that this was the Christ, but I think John's problem was the timing. And if we can get real just for a moment, I think that's where we struggle. We believe in God's omnipotence. We believe in God's goodness. But when we are looking at our life and we see the promises that God has given, the timing, that's where we struggle. He didn't have a problem with the miracles because God had a track record of always keeping his word. That's the next thing that I see here in these next few verses. We can have confidence that is based on a perfect track record. Now, I need to let you know that the audience changes. Between verses 6 and 7, we find a change in the audience. So John's disciples had come with this question. Jesus answers that question. They're going to go away. And now Jesus is speaking to an entirely different group. And Jesus is going to tell this crowd, those disciples that were just here, the ones that follow after John the Baptist, they are disciples of the prophet that Malachi told us about. He was the one who is the forerunner of the Christ. Look in verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? And what did you go out to see? A a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Understand that John's popularity right now is huge. People would travel to go and hear him preach. They loved that he would stand up against the religious leaders and tell them they needed to repent. I think they kind of liked hearing that Herod needed to repent. Having said that, John wasn't going to win any popularity contests with his lifestyle. He was raised as a Nazarite. He had not not had a haircut as far as I know, so 30 years of hair growing down his back. Doesn't that sound, well, probably dreadlocks is what he had, I imagine. His clothes, don't think of a nice camel hair jacket that we might wear today. He looked odd in this camel hair clothes. And if you wanted to go and share a meal with John the Baptist and you went to his place to eat the meal, you might not be too pleased with the locusts that he served you. He was so unusual that we're going to see they would refuse him as this this prophet that was the forerunner. 
And even so far, they would say that he's so weird, he must be possessed by a demon. There's no doubt there's something different about him. But he can't be the one. He can't be the one that we're looking for. And Jesus very clearly says he is the forerunner of the Messiah. And he goes beyond that when he describes him. Did you catch this compliment that Jesus Christ gives? Anybody else a little bit jealous? None born of women greater than John the Baptist. I imagine Jesus would challenge them to run in their minds, who's the greatest? So far born of the Jews, who's the greatest? Who do you think might make that list of the greatest? Abraham's got to be in the top ten, right? How about Moses? One guy was called a man after God's own heart, David. Of all of these heroes, Jesus Christ says no one born thus far is greater than John the Baptist. And there's a couple reasons, I believe, why God calls him so great. One is because of his incredible obedience. Obedient to a place where he was so bold to preach what God said. He had a life that was set apart, and he could not be persuaded to turn differently. He was obedient in following God. But he was also the greatest in that he was called to the specific position of prophet. His calling made him special, the calling that the prophet Malachi talks about. Jesus Christ says he's the greatest. Now, from what we know of the story so far and where John's at, was he being treated as somebody who was the greatest born of men? No. He's rotting in jail. He's discouraged. He's asking a question of Jesus that he already knew the answer to. It's, it is you, isn't it, Lord? So they're not treating him in a way that they should have. The message is clear from Christ. If John is the forerunner of the Messiah, then I am the Messiah. Let there be no doubt John is that one, and he would let us know, I am the one. Jesus Christ points John to the Old Testament. These things that Isaiah said would happen, these miracles... Christ lists them to the disciples of John. He even lists them in the same order that he did them. It's amazing. And John's confidence is lifted because he looks to the promises of God's word and John understands that God has not yet failed once. And the application is clear for you. If God has made a promise... There's not one time yet that he has failed to keep that promise to you. The confidence that John had in the word is the same confidence that you and I should have. Now, the audience changed from John's disciples to the crowd that was around him. But now, right in the middle of verse 11, we actually find that the subject changes because he speaks about John the Baptist he teaches about John the Baptist, but then he makes a transition. And that's the next thing that we find here about our confidence. We should have confidence because we are personally included in God's plan. 
Confidence becomes personal when I'm included. So there's a shift here. We won't spend long on this, but there is a shift that is moving from how people that were before Christ would look to him to how people that are after Christ look to him. I've been asked the question, how how did people get saved in the Old Testament? Because if you want to tell someone about how to be a Christian, how to get saved, what are you going to tell them about? You're going to tell them about the cross. You're going to tell them that they are a sinner. Because of that sin, there's a punishment, separation from God forever in a place called hell. But they can have salvation because of the work Jesus did on the cross. And so it's not a bad question. If that's how we are saved today, how were people saved in the Old Testament? And the answer is, they were saved in the same way. They were saved by faith in God. But there was going to be a change, and it's mentioned right here in this verse, because instead of their faith based on a promise, now that faith is going to be based on a fulfillment. They were looking ahead to the Messiah, and now you and I look back to the work on the cross. Look halfway through verse 11 with me. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is an invitation. Instead of just the Jewish people, this will be open to anyone in the world. An invitation for any to believe in God's plan. We rejoice in the work of Christ. We rejoice in the promises of God's word. It's likely that you know someone who does not rejoice in God's word. It's likely that you know someone who maybe doesn't believe in God, has a different kind of faith system than you do. But it is my opinion that everyone wants to believe this message. I think that all people want to believe that there is heaven for us after this earth. I think that all people want to believe that there is purpose for us here in this world. But many people have put their confidence in the wrong thing. And that's what Jesus speaks to next. Confidence is oftentimes misplaced. So he speaks to this crowd that is around him, that is listening, but also very much so, there's a message for the full generation of those who have not been following after God. Jewish people who were looking for a Messiah, but they did not think that Jesus was he. Because it's totally different than they thought it would be. Even John. John was unique as an Old Testament prophet because we were told he was going to come. But they didn't believe, many of them, that John was the forerunner of Christ. Do you know why? Well, some of them thought he was nuts. This guy's so weird. Look at how he dresses and what he eats. 
He can't be that prophet Malachi was talking about. Look in verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. They didn't think that John possibly could be the forerunner of Christ. He's nuts. And when they looked at Jesus Christ, they didn't think that he could be the Messiah because he didn't take their traditions as seriously as they wanted him to. Don't miss the problem. The truth was coming, but it looked different than they wanted it to be. Mark chapter 2 gives us a comparison of John the Baptist's disciples and Jesus' disciples and the difference that he's referring to right here. In verses 18 and 19 of Mark 2, it says this, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came to him. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. They rejected John because he was too serious. They rejected Jesus because he was not serious enough. It was different than they were expecting. And the good news is, it's probably different than you and I ever would have expected too, and it is so much better. No matter how great an imagination or how good of a person you are, you could not develop a plan that would come anywhere close to God's plan for your life. So what are we to do with a passage like this? Well, I hope that your confidence has increased. I hope that you'll be challenged to have your faith grow and grow as you go. One thing we can do is we can increase our confidence because of God's perfect record. He has not yet failed to keep one promise that he has made. His perfect record is something that we hold on to. Jesus pointed John back to the writings of Isaiah These things were going to happen. That's what I've done. Let your confidence in me be renewed. And also, we can increase our confidence because God wants to include you in a deeper challenge is this. God wants to include you kind of like he included John the Baptist. John was obedient. He was obedient to a fault if there is such a thing. He was out there. He was powerfully being used of God, doing everything that he knew he could do. But then beyond that, John the Baptist would step out on faith. And that's the challenge for us today. 
we live in such an environment that it's so easy for us to not have to step out on faith, right? How many things do you genuinely have to step out on faith? I mentioned earlier, sometimes God brings us to that point where we have no choice but lean on Him. Likely some of you have been there. All of your resources have been exhausted. Everybody you know that you've asked for help can't help you. I can remember lying face down, begging and pleading for God to answer prayer because I couldn't do anything else. And that's not a bad thing that God takes us to that place. But I think that we can be used even more if we will put ourselves out there. Walking, yes, by sight, being obedient, doing everything we can, doing our best, but then stepping out on faith. Giving God a chance to do something amazing. This is the challenge for us. With my missionary friend who was sharing her testimony, and she's a wonderful person, but I just had heard that before. Maybe you've heard it before where somebody said, man, I just thought if I, if I stepped out on faith or if I gave in to God, he was going to do something that would make me miserable. I want you to imagine with me a, a father of an adult son. And the phone rings one day, and the adult son gives him a call, and here's what he says. Dad, I love you so much. I talked to my wife, and, and this coming Saturday, I want to come over, and whatever you want to do, however you want to spend the time, I'm completely yours. You name it, and we're going to do it. I love you so much, Dad, and I'm looking forward to that. So you think about what we're going to do on Saturday. How many of you think that a father, a typical father, would hang up the phone and start to run his mind through and say, Man, that kid was such an ornery teenager. Man, that kid wouldn't do the stuff that I told I've got, boy, I've got some jobs that I'm going to give to him. I've got a job over here that I can't even pay somebody to do. He's going to be doing that on Saturday because he's given himself over to me. And you know what? There's another job. Oh, he's going to hate this one. Oh, my goodness. Let me put that one down for Saturday. And I'm just going to grab my, my lawn chair and I'm going to watch him as he does all these jobs that he can't stand. Now, I'm exaggerating a bit for effect because do you know a father that if his son said, I want to do whatever you want to do and whatever you want me to do, any good father would say, no, we're going to spend that time doing things that are wonderful, that will count. And in the same way, our heavenly father looks down at us And we have no reason to be afraid of stepping out on faith. All of the things that God has told us to do, we don't have to be afraid for them. We don't. Let me survey the group. How many of you have ever heard this saying, don't pray for patience, don't you dare pray for patience because God will do something. You've heard that. You know what? The same principle applies. I pray for patience. For myself, I pray for patience for my family. I pray for patience for some of you. We should not fear what God has told us to have in our life. 
And if patience is a virtue he wants us to have, then say, bring it on, God, because God will not bring you to a place where it's something bad for you. But you, as his child, you need to tell him. Not just this coming Saturday, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. But God, for all the rest of the years that you have me here in this world, what can I do that you would want me to do? We walk, yes, by sight, doing the best with everything that we have, but God blesses when in addition to our obedience, we step out on faith. And it's at those times that we are able to be a part of something that God does that we could have never imagined. You see, God said, your ways are here. My ways. That's what you want. You want my ways. My ways are way up here. Where do you want to be in your walk with God? Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious Father, we praise you this day for the privilege of being called daughters and sons of the King. We praise you for forgiveness. We praise you for your patience. And we thank you for having a plan for us. Would you allow us to walk by faith? Would you allow us to see that your plan is good? Loving Father, we come to you today and ask that everything that is good for me in my life, that you would bring that. And I know that might look very, very different than I think goodness would look. But I trust you. And I would pray, Heavenly Father, that those that hear this message today would trust you. As we've been encouraged with this message about your servant, John the Baptist, he, he, he never got out of jail. He stayed there until he was executed. And I think if we were to go and ask him today if he regretted any of that, he would say, I have no regrets in being obedient and in walking by faith. And so, Heavenly Father, even if, even if it looks different than the whole world thinks it should look or we think it should look, would you encourage us to pray? Lead us. May the Holy Spirit put a burden within our heart that causes us to step out by faith. I want to give you a chance to pray this morning. As the piano plays through, would you just talk to God right now? If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And he can guide you to the next step. What a blessing it would be if it's something that you can't clearly see the end, but the Spirit is leading you to take that step of faith. We talked about the work of Christ. We talked about salvation. It could be there's someone hearing this message that has never accepted Christ. We look back to the cross of Christ his work done on the cross was because of our sin. And we don't have to pay for our own sin in a place called hell, but we can have forgiveness. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins and make you his child, you can do that even in this moment. Let the Spirit lead you on what to pray. 
And then in faith, pray a prayer of accepting Christ as Savior.